Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, I've gotten to kind of know uh, Mike and Susan McGee from a workshop we both have been attending for years up in uh, close to Paris, Tennessee. Tracy was there this last year, started to get to know him a little bit. But um, you know you're starting to get to know one of your elders a little bit much. When, when I asked him, when, only one time was my wife able to go up there with me. And um, I had said, did you have a chance to meet Carol uh, when, she's, when, we were, when I was up there with her the one time? And, and she's really, really sweet. And he responds back, well, she better be if she's got to be putting up with you. So um, that's kind of getting to know one of your elders a little bit good. So. But I appreciate coming back. Um, we, I don't know if you all remember, a couple years ago I was here, and actually when my book got released called Creative for Good Deeds, I came and talked to you there. So it's always an honor to be invited back. You know you must have done something right. Um, I assume many of you all here today grew up in the South, and... Um, my mom was a great southern cook, and I grew up with country fried steak, greens, black-eyed peas, barbecue chicken, white beans stewed with ham. I mean, that's kind of what I grew up eating, and I uh, still love it to this day. Um, you can ask my wife. We'll go someplace around the country, and I'm kind of looking for one of those country places that's got some good vegetables with it. And... Um, but one of the things my mom was really, really good at was fried chicken. And she had her own recipe. And I still remember to this day watching when I was a child. She would roll her wax paper out and she'd put the flour on that wax paper and the spices she used. And she'd dip that chicken into some eggs and milk and then put it in that flour and that seasoning. And she just seemed to always have the oil in the pan at the right temperature. So when she put that chicken in there, it'd start just kind of crackling. And she was always able to get it to have a nice crispy crust, but not something that was too crispy. And I'm telling you, the colonel would have been proud of my mom. Uh, that chicken was wonderful. Um, and then when she would bring it out to the table, and you, some of you all probably remember these things too, there was this one specific platter it was always on. She had a little paper towel under it to kind of get up any excess oil. And she'd bring it out, she'd give my dad the thighs, she'd give me, usually the drumsticks, and she would take a chicken breast. And, um, and I just always, wonderful, wonderful time with my parents and thinking about that. Well, late in life, my mom had very severe arthritis, and it was so debilitating um, that she actually eventually had to go into a nursing home just to be able to get the care she needed. In fact, one of the rheumatologists in Brevard County said it was one of two of the worst cases he had ever seen, and she dealt with a, a whole lot of pain. Um, but I remember one night I was there with her at the nursing home, and, and she had ordered chicken that day. And so I was sitting there, and it, the attendant comes in and brings it in. Well, it's a thigh and a leg quarter. And as he left, I took, took it, and with her fingers were so malformed that I wound up, started cutting up her chicken for her. And I asked her, I said, Mom, I know all those years you just cherished the chicken breast. Why did you get dark meat? And she just looked at me and goes, Well, I love the dark meat, but I gave you and your dad the best pieces. And I'm telling you, my heart just kind of broke because um, all those years I'd been experiencing the sacrificial love of a mother and never really realized it 
And that's made a huge impact on my life, though, when that happened. And I try to live that way. And it's not always easy. And, um, but that's our God. That's agape love. And that's kind of in a small way, obviously, in our God. And what he did for us sacrificially was in a much greater way, was it not, church? Now, sometimes you just kind of wonder, why does God love us? You know, why does he love us? Why does he care so much about us that he would do what he did? Boy, a whole bunch of things came up. Um, I, this is very sensitive. Um, well, one of the, and because to be honest, when you think about it, sometimes we can be pretty miserable people, can't we? I mean, we have some real shortcomings. And uh, my wife has put up a lot with me through the years. You were right, actually. <laughs> and, uh, and she's very, very loving. But we do, we have shortcomings, and, and we, we sin at times and do things and say things that we shouldn't. And uh, thank goodness we've got Christ that continues, allows that forgiveness. But y'all just wonder, why? Well, one of the reasons, I think, and I think it's a main reason, is we bear God's image inside us. And because of that, He knows the tremendous, the remarkable, the glorious potential that lies within each of us. And so, He just loves us because He knows what we can become and who we are with, with His image inside us. So basically, I think what God has done, he's put a plan into motion, this redemption plan that we see with these nativity stories. And our God is a holy God, is he not? And he wants us to be holy. So as Christ entered the realm, the human realm, basically his mission is to remove the consequences of sin and allow us to be holy so we can have a relationship with our God and we can sustain it. And that's what he's done through Christ. And as God's people, we share that good news. We share that story, that gospel story with others. And so as we see God placing his redemption plan in motion, he strategically used angels to assure their success. Um, and we can see their involvement basically is God extending his love to humankind. Um, I just want to mention one thing about that book, um, the Angels View book, which is, this is from. But it's, I look at angels and the stories of the angels through the lens of what they teach us about God and Jesus. I do want to teach about angels in the book, and I do, but I'm much more interested in you having something spiritually rich and learn about God and Christ and how these stories of the angels really teach us about that. Now, this is from Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and this is where we learn of uh, Joseph. Uh, look at the story where he has found out that Mary is with child and an angel comes to him. So if you would, in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, you can read along with me. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. <clears throat> when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, as we look at the story of Joseph, he all of a sudden is countered with an unexpected pregnancy with his wife-to-be, right? Now, it's said he's betrothed to Mary, and you need to understand what that means. The Jews, when you betroth somebody, that was a really big-time binding agreement. I mean, more than normal business agreements and dealings at the time. This was serious stuff. And so what Joseph was getting ready to do to get out of this agreement with Mary, this betrothal agreement that included some kind of dowry, obviously probably from his uh, family, he was going to divorce her. The wedding hadn't happened, it wasn't marriage yet, but the betrothal agreement to get out of that was a divorce. Now, <clears throat> what it calls Joseph here righteous, uses the adjective right there as righteous Joseph. Well, why was he righteous? And there's two things that's really important to realize in this story. One is Joseph thinking to divorce her. Well, that was just because he thought she was, had, been in, was, uh, had, had had relations outside the marriage relationship. So there was infidelity involved, and the law would allow him to divorce her for such reason. So he was just in that regard. But he was also righteous because he did not want to bring any undue shame upon Mary, and so he was doing it quietly. Now, when you think about about this and quietly stopping the marriage, this was really kind of a big, big deal to, to what was kind of going on with Joseph because he just really doesn't know what's going on. So we have this angel come to him to basically explain this. Now, I want to stop and give you a couple of thoughts about the, this angel here for a minute. This angel appears in a dream. Now, I want you to think about that a second. What a remarkable thing that is, that an angel somehow can come in, connect to the human brain in the dream state, and communicate with that human. And that's what he's doing with Joseph in a dream. And what you need to understand there, wow, does that teach us something about our our God, right? What a, what a God of intellectual, enormous actual amount of intellectual prowess to be able to create such a being to come in and do such a thing. Now, when we think about this power, I actually kind of think it's pretty cool stuff. I mean, I, there were times where in my life I would have liked to came in one of my children's dreams with a lot of fire and saying, clean your room, you know, and, uh, I don't know, maybe sometimes a little quieter approach would have been good, maybe more of a clean your room, clean your room. You know, that kind of reminded me years ago, I don't know if you all remember the, 
old comics that were called Far Side. I think it was guy by a guy named Gary Larson. But uh, what actually kind of gave me the thought for that this was the there's a one particular one where this lady's sleeping in her bed and her cat's curled up at the bottom of the bed sleeping too, and the window to her bedroom is slightly open and there's this dog right outside the window and he's whispering in through the, the crack in the window going, let the cat out, let the cat out. Whatever, similar kind of thing with this angel, clean your room. But this is just such a remarkable, remarkable power this angel has. And the angel explains this situation to Joseph that this, this baby that Mary's carrying is of, of God, of, of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to think a minute for about Joseph and what he was going through. He basically, if you can think about what he might have been saying internally, he said, wow, I would have been such a great husband to Mary. How could Mary do this to me? What shame, you know, the embarrassment of all this. And, and am I inadequate in some way to her that she would do such a thing? And because of me quietly putting her away, my family's going to lose their dowry. Because he could go after her legally to get the dowry back, but he's doing it quietly. And, and then, what if somebody like Tracy would have came to me and said, Mike, Carol is pregnant with the Christ child. And, or a, or a, a rabbi or a priest. If you can imagine what's kind of come, if that would have happened. Would you have you thought that Mary was honored and blessed? or actually disgraced and unfaithful. Um, and just then marrying her, she's pregnant. And that's going to bring shame on his reputation throughout life because they're gonna th everyone's going to think that he got her pregnant before the time of the wedding. And then, oh, by the way, the angel says, you're basically going to be the father of the Christ child. Now, in the South... We kind of call that story a doozy, don't we? This is a big deal, and you can imagine what Joseph's going through and why he's thinking of quietly putting away Mary, quietly divorcing her. He's really struggling. And, but what he does, and I want to call your attention to this as well, is again, we have a wise God, do we not? He sends a supernatural visitor to really grab Joseph's attention and say this is what I'm doing Joseph this is God at work that angel's coming with the authenticity of his creator now the actual term for Jesus actually means his name means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation and it basically kind of Jesus is to provide spiritual salvation for us from sin's corruption Okay, let's look at Mary's story when Gabriel visits her in Luke 1, 26 through 38. So read along with me. <clears throat> now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, in this birth announcement to Mary, we have Gabriel visiting. But this time, it's not in a dream, is it? This is in the true physical world. Now, it seems to me that he's in the supernatural state, if you will, because he tells her, just like he told uh, Zacharias, that you're not, that you're, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So it's, it's probably his appearance is probably a little startling to her. Uh, but it doesn't really go into that too much here. Um, but then he says to Mary, Gabriel calls her the favored one. And she's even perplexed on, why are you calling me this? But boy, was she. Can you imagine the honor of being given to be able to be God's child's mother? I mean, most certainly favored one. Sure does grab it. Now, Mary is still a virgin, right? And she's to bear the Christ child. And she, I'm sorry, she, gave, she basically says to Gabriel, how can this be? You know, I mean, she's listening very intently, but how can this be? I'm a virgin. How am I going to bear a child? And as he explains it to her, he ends that with, for nothing will be impossible with God. And that then becomes Mary's mission statement, doesn't it? She's going to live out her life with that nothing is impossible with God and that he is, God is, through the Spirit, going to make her with child and she's going to carry the Christ child and raise him. And you can imagine, again, Mary's thinking, kind of like Joseph, when this is being explained to her, it's like, somebody wake me up, you know? This sounds too crazy, you know, pinch me, please. And... um but Gabriel kind of reassures her. And you can see the heart of Mary in the statement as kind of the text concluded with, where she says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And we need to have that kind of humility of a Mary, don't we? The bond slave of the Lord, be done to me according to your word. And again, we see the wisdom of God coming into play here. We see this phenomenal proposition and scenario being given to Mary. But God leaves room for no doubt, and he sends basically Gabriel in a supernatural state so she understands the authenticity and plausibility of what awaited her. So Mary follows what God has for her. Now, let's look at the shepherds, where it's announced to them that Christ is born. And that's in Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. 
In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news and of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now I've always kind of think, and incidentally, before I mention that, I want to show you something here in this particular picture. And actually we have this particular painting in our, in our home. Um, See that angel with those beautiful wings? Now, you notice the other pictures I had of the angels, the angels was just kind of glowing, weren't they? Didn't have wings. Well, if we look in the Bible, and I'm not going to go into this in too much detail, but with the seraphim that Isaiah sees, the cherubim that Ezekiel sees, the four living creatures that are around the throne that John sees in Revelation, they all have wings, multiple wings. Whenever we see the term angel in the Bible, that general term for angels, we never ever have them connected with having wings. Um, now, in, there is where basically an angel flies over the midheaven and makes an announcement. He flies. And most certainly that angel in that vision would have had wings because we didn't they didn't know of superman flying through the air like that so that would have been the concept of flight would have been with wings um but i really believe that that particular thing and uh in john that vision is was more of a the concept of how that angel got up there and was more a vision than anything if you will not basically what reality is in heaven but we don't really totally know so but i personally think that the general angels i mean i just can't imagine with all the time they're mentioning the bible they're not one time somebody would said hey not only is this angel glowing and he's wearing white clothing and he's a man and he also had wings i mean gosh how could you not mention wings in all in all these different cases but, uh, but we really don't know, and, the one, and John actually makes us wonder a little bit, and the revelation is, perhaps. And be honest, these are spiritual beings, and they come into the, the physical realm, right? And they appear as humans sometimes, and we don't even know. They didn't know. They didn't know they were angels. And so how they make and appear and the powers they have, we just don't really, really know that. Uh, so we're just given a little bit of thing. So whatever, I just wanted to point that out to you. It's kind of a little angel fun fact. Now, one of the things in this particular piece, I kind of find this sometimes God is sometimes for me just unpredictable. Um, you would think kind of maybe because I'm disillusioned by my own culture, which just tends to be a little prideful and arrogant, that, that God in announcing that his son was coming to earth to redeem humanity, when it came to some of the most prestigious kings and religious leaders of the day. But he doesn't. He comes to a bunch of lowly shepherds out in the field at night. And then you might think, well, okay, 
So how does the announcement? But the announcement then comes with, seems like, great joy. I mean, a supernatural visitor comes in, and a whole bunch of the heavenly hosts come in praising God after the announcement that, that Jesus is in, in Bethlehem. So, But I find that pretty fascinating, how God is and how he announced that to the lowly shepherds. Now, it talked about how basically there was a light, that the glory of the Lord surrounded them. And often we see that angels come with light, right? There's light associated with them. Um, now, this light could, based on the way the text reads, could denote actually God's presence here. But the text doesn't really suggest that besides that. But perhaps maybe what's going on here is that the light emanated from the angel is kind of like when Moses came back from meeting with God in the tent of meeting and how his face shined. This angel just came back from being in God's presence. And perhaps that is how where this light is coming from. But again, it's one of those things we kind of really don't know. But we're given this world-rocking good news that a Savior's been born in Bethlehem. And this is so praiseworthy that just a multitude of angels come in praising God and what's going on as God's extending His love to humanity by sending His Son to the earth. And with that kind of heavenly motivation, well, guess what? Those, those shepherds, they kind of beeline it right to, to Bethlehem. Now, in thinking about these three stories, <clears throat> we see the angels kind of momentarily in the limelight, don't we? They're kind of up on center stage in one regard. But these stories, we really need to understand, they're not about the angels. Now, the effect of the supernatural here is important. I think it did bring some authenticity in what was being communicated and that they were from God. And to be honest, even to this day, the mysterious things that, that kind of surround those birth announcements, we kind of look at them a little closer too, don't we? Because this angel involvement's kind of interesting, kind of fascinating. Um, so it draws our attention to it. But what's really going on here, these are God stories. These aren't angel stories. Um, God was at work here. God sent those angels. He, they came with his authority, with his message, extending his love and grace to humanity. Again, this is about God. These angels are kind of bit players in one regard. But what we see in the angels, and it's important to, to understand this, is these angels, basically, they're pointing to Jesus. They point Joseph to the fact that Mary's going to give birth to our Savior. They point Mary to the fact that she's going to be pregnant with the Christ child. They point the shepherds that Jesus is in Bethlehem. Go to him. And today, these same nativity stories point us to Jesus, do they not? They're pointing us to Jesus. And one of the things that we can really ask ourselves, are we doing some pointing today? Are we pointing others to Jesus? One of the things about this season that I find remarkable there's a lot of people in this world today that would love to have Santa as its icon. And they're trying to root out nativity scenes and stuff. 
and so whatever. But you know what? I've seen more nativity scenes than I've seen in ages around. And um, they're all over the place. We have nativity scenes. We have songs that are about Jesus being born that's before the world. We have Christmas cards that go out that have verses about some of these things we've just been talking about. People hang Christmas ornaments on trees that show the nativity or have an angel on the top of it. There's movies that are on TV and shows that kind of talk about the nativity, right? Or make reference to what God has done. This ought to be the most evangelistic time of the year. I mean, it just opens open conversations to talk to people about Jesus because it's before their eyes. They have to deal with it. They have to think about it. And it's a very remarkable thing that God would come to earth in the form of a baby, right? Now, now that's not Jesus, but um, <clears throat> that's actually my daughter, and that's her little baby that was born about two months ago, and guess what? She's coming over from Tampa today, and I get to see this little guy. You can see him. He's in this cute little, uh, little onesie that's got little space stuff on it. That's real odd for me, incidentally, to say onesie. But, uh, um, <laughs> but whatever, what I want you to think about is that God is a son coming in a package of a baby. He is totally dependent on his human parents that's that's God who wraps his little fingers around his mama's fingers as he's kind of learning to deal to use his hands as he kicks his feet and the diapers that have to be dealt with that's the son of God people that have babies do you think that's not an opportunity that we maybe could actually talk to him about Jesus? Did you ever could think about to say, wow, can you imagine that God came like this to the earth in the form of a son, totally dependent on human beings? I mean, that opens, that's a conversation starter, isn't it, folks? You don't have to know, you don't have to go have some kind of theological degree. I mean, you don't have to go to Harding or Babylon or wherever you like to go. I mean, just the opportunities we have before us sometimes, we don't even recognize them as opportunities, but we need to recognize them as opportunities. I am looking forward to seeing that little guy today. He's pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> but as we look at these stories, the nativity stories, John kind of really nails it with this very succinctly, and it's how he says, this is how God showed his love to us. He sent His one and only Son into the world so that we could have life through Him. This is what real love is. It is not our love for God, it's God's love for us. He sent His Son to die in our place to take away our sins. God's love. That's just remarkable love. And I believe we can kind of take some lessons from these angels and we have opportunities to point others. Let that message dwell in their hearts. That message that we have in the Bible, we got to believe this, folks. It's life-changing. It just is. And people have to deal with that message as they hear it. Now, I'm going to switch gears just a teeny bit because God wants 
we kind of come to him through Jesus. He's a possessive God. He wants to keep us, doesn't he? He really does. But one thing we kind of know about him is he respects liberty. You have choice. And he ain't going to force you to stay faithful. That's something you're going to have to choose. And as we see in the stories in Luke 15, you remember the story of the lost coin, of the lost sheep. Those things were cherished by those individuals. And they went out and found them and brought them back. And in the case of seven, in verse 7 of the lost sheep in chapter 15, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And again, he says over in the lost coin story in verse 10, In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So when that happens, man, there's, there's a party going on in heaven. I mean, there really is a celebration over people who come back to their God. Now, I believe this is actually kind of expounded on, obviously, a little bit more in the story of the prodigal son. And we all know that's, I hope most people do know that story, but that prodigal son takes off, takes his inheritance, goes, lives wildly, blows all his money. It's basically feeding hogs, even to the point where he wants to eat the hog's food. Now, to a Jew, that's pretty nasty, okay, that he wants to eat the hog's food. Well, he knows he's in such a destitute state, he's going to come back to his father, throw himself at his father's feet, and beg forgiveness because he's starving, you know, and wants his father to be, take care of him again and bring him back into the family. And as he goes back to his father, this is what it says in verse 20 in chapter 15. He says, so he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Folks, we need to really wrap our arms around that verse. That's God. God is the father here in this parable. God sees you coming back. He doesn't wait for you to come down here. He runs to you. He embraces you. He kisses you. That's our God. He's not some cosmic cop up in heaven waiting for you to do something wrong to zap you. That's our God. And we need to understand that about Him. Um, and we see this joy of His. And we see this time of celebration. He puts the ring on him, the, the most luxurious robe the family has on his son. And he basically gets the servants together and says, it's time to be merry. Let's get some music going and some dancing going on here. And so he then basically in verse 24 wraps up and says, For his, this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. And he was lost and has been, been found. And they began to celebrate. Now I think these servants here in this parable, this is what I believe, you can believe what you want, but I think they're a parallel to the servants that are in heaven. We have God in heaven with his angels that are rejoicing and having joy over whose return. We have here God the Father in the prodigal son story, and we have the servants who I believe 
There's parallel to the angels, and they're celebrating with God over the return of the prodigal. Um, I'm just trying to point out, these angels, guess what? They have emotions too, and they're expressing their joy as well. And then we know from Job 38 that when God created this earth that we stand on, they shouted with joy for what God had done. It refers to them there as actually the sons of God. Now, a number of years ago, I was at a church um, for quite a bit of time where there was this family, and their son had led up to this point a pretty wild life, as I remember things. And he was somewhere between the ages of 25 and 30, really did not look like he would probably turn his life over to Christ. And but one Sunday, no one realized it, he came forward. And afterwards, man, I'm telling you, this church, they knew this family for years, this long-standing family. They came down there and hugged on him, hugged on them. There was crying and hugging and all that. And it was really neat. I mean, you guys probably have experienced things like that. And it's very special. Kind of like Mary says, you ponder them in your heart. And, um, but then next week came. And I was sitting in the pews, and somebody came forward. This lady came right up the middle. This lady I'd never seen. And she was taken back to, just like the other young man, she was baptized. And afterwards, two people came up and embraced her and celebrated with her. And I was really torn because, one, I was very happy for this woman. But then, two, where was the celebration? See, the celebration, when God is celebrating, these angels are celebrating, we are celebrating, it instills value into that person, that they're of value. And we need to be able to do that as well. So let me kind of wrap us up here. And something, a few things I'd like you to kind of take home. Um, these stories, again, they're about God, not the angels. They're God's kind of, kind of servants who've gone out to take care of what he wants them to do. It's his love that's being extended through the angels. And one of the things I want to point out, and make sure you understand, angels are not responsible for sharing the gospel. In Acts, we see that angels actually facilitated the spread of the gospel. You probably remember the story where the apostles by the Sanhedrin are thrown in prison. And an angel comes and basically breaks them out. And when that angel tells them to go their way, the angel said this. says, go your way, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And guess what? They were so emboldened that that's what they went and did. In Acts 8, verse 26 and following, we have Philip kind of on making his way back from Samaria in some very fertile evangelistic grounds where a lot of people are being converted. But an angel comes to him and says, hey, go on this particular isolated road to Damascus. And it's like, and you can imagine Philip going, what in the world do you want me to go there for? There's nothing out there. Well, he does. He follows this angel's guidance, and he goes there, and guess who he bumps into? The Ethiopian eunuch. He preaches him the gospel, baptizes him, and that Ethiopian eunuch is going to take the gospel back to another continent 
And so the gospel gets spread. In Acts 10, you remember Cornelius, a God-fearing Roman, whom basically God sent an angel to in a vision. And he told Cornelius that God was paying attention to him. And he said, go get Peter. And so, so they basically go get Peter. Peter had to be a lot of other things to be able to come to a Gentile's home. God had to shake him up with some other stuff as well. But basically what he needed done was the gospel preached to Cornelius. And the angel didn't do it and went and got Peter. My point with all this is this is our responsibility. We're responsible to share that good news. We are God's ambassadors for Christ, are we not, church? Faith comes by hearing, right? Well, someone's got to speak it. And it can't be just this guy right here. This is all of our responsibility. And I think perhaps a lot of us are being sent to a neighbor, to a relative, to a colleague, to an acquaintance, to speak, to speak that good news, to speak of Christ where faith forms. Folks, we need to take them. I don't know the gentleman's name that did the Lord's Supper, but uh, he was right. We need to not leave Jesus in the manger. We need to take him from there to there, right? We need to let people to realize that the gift that God gave us, he wants a relationship with us, but we have to accept Jesus and what he did for us to basically allow for the forgiveness of sins to take place. Perhaps some of you all this morning realize that, whoa, you want to, for the first time in your life, take advantage of that redemption plan, of what God has done, of the work he's done for Jesus, for you, for you. And tonight, this morning, please come forward as, as we do that. And also for you who've been here for years, and maybe you're just saying, you know, I haven't lived up to what I should be doing. I mean, there's people, I had a brother recently that was just, you could see it in his Facebook message, he was, he was crying because he didn't even really hardly know how to share, speak up about the gospel to other people. And, and I've given you some ways, maybe even a day, to even just talk about a baby, you know, things that you can bring up in conversation. And maybe we've been neglectful of that, maybe to the point where, you know, it's almost we need to, to ask forgiveness or prayers from the church to embolden us. Just like the apostles were emboldened by an angels, the church can embolden us. So whatever you may have today, whatever need you may have, please come forward as we stand and sing.